Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to the Believe in Bingo podcast with Solomon Wilcott, delivered by 828 Logistics, and it's now time to preview the Cincinnati Bengals 2023 draft, and we're joined right now by my good friend Kevin Cole, formerly of PFF, but now the creator of Unexpected Points. Kevin, how you doing today? I'm doing great. It's it's good to see you again, Solly. And uh, the Bengals, it's, it's an interesting position everyone's in, especially a little bit interesting. I don't know if you want to touch on this at all or not, but with Jalen Hurts getting a big contract today, I'm sure Bengals talk is going to be all about Joe Burrow and what that contract is going to be. Oh, we definitely will have to touch on that because I get the sense that that Joe is kind of laying in the weeds. He's going to let Jalen Hurts sign his deal. He's going to let Justin Herbert sign his deal. No self-respecting agent would allow Joe Burrow to sign his deal before those other two because he's going to come out here just a little bit more, as you well know. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's normally how it works, and especially when we're talking about Burrow, who's probably, I think safely we could say, perceived on a little bit higher level than Jalen Hurts right now, despite everything great that Hurts did last season after being the number one pick, after going to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago and another strong playoff run. So a little bit more history in the NFL of success also. And let's go ahead and talk about it, because I I envision Joe Burrow's contract being close to the 10-year $450 million deal that we saw go uh, to Patrick Mahomes. Um, but certainly, I think his per average um, number, in other words, per year, it's got to be north of 50, as was Jalen Hurts. His came around 51. We had projected that Joe Burrow would be somewhere north of $50 million a year. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be more than what we saw for Hurts. Hurts was a five-year extension. I believe Kyler Murray's extension is probably the last big contract to, to happen, and that was a five-year extension. Uh, Mahomes at 10 years, it's one of those things where you, you hear different things. I mean, it's an eye-popping type of number you can get in total when you have 10 years there. But at the same time, I think for a player who can be very, very confident at the end of even four years or five years, they can they can sign a new deal. I think that's that seems to be more of the real trend in the NFL is the player saying, can I make this four years? Can I make this three years and get back into the market again? Start renegotiating as soon as possible as the cap goes up. So we'll see what, what route that Burrow takes. Yeah, it, it will be interesting because I think what um, Patrick Mahomes was trying to do is to make sure that he stayed wedded to Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, that... That for him was a no-brainer, um, and that's what he wanted to accomplish. That's what the team wanted to accomplish, and now it really comes down to their ability to continue to add to that deal as they go on to make sure that his number meets the market. He's going to always be one of the top five guys in his position, so it'll be interesting to see if the Bengals take the same approach with Joe Burrow, do the two, uh, because uh, from all accounts, Joe Burrow loves his time with Zach Taylor. And I don't think people understand it enough how closely their families are aligned. Um, um, Jimmy Burrow, Joe Burrow's father played at Nebraska, which is exactly where um, Zach Taylor went to school, right? And um, but they're 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 closely knitted, and I would think that their good start would lead them to wanting to stay together as time goes on. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, Taylor signed an extension after the Super Bowl appearance. So he's going to be there, at least in theory, and I think probably 
pretty pretty safely through 2026 at this point. So he's going to be there at least until then. There'll probably be another contract signing. So yeah, I agree with you there. It's going to be a question of guarantees. Um, and in the NFL, there's this thing with the guarantees where you have to escrow all the money at day one. So that becomes a little bit of a situation. There's T Higgins who's out there who also could be extended this off season and doesn't have a fifth year option as a second round pick. So next year will be the last year on his deal. Uh, Of course they could franchise tag after that. And then next season, then they could look at uh, Jamar chase. So, I mean, things are great. um, But as as we know, when it comes to NFL owners, when you have to start cutting checks, uh, there's probably a couple of different levels of owners, whether how much that that really burns their pocketbook when we're talking about tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's called cash over cap. You <laughs> yeah. certainly need the cash. Uh, the cap will take care of itself, of course, as long as you allocate the money appropriately. But you do have to have a certain amount of cash to be able to consummate that deal because that money has to sit in escrow to guarantee uh, the guaranteed portion of the contract. Let's talk about the NFL draft because that's where you can really um, sort of make things easier on your general manager and Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor for those guys who have to build a team. You've got to begin at this point, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, not that they didn't have to draft smartly in the past, but they really have to do it now. And if you look at their team needs, you're going to see um, position areas like tight end. You're going to see defensive back where they lost three of their starting four members of the secondary and free agency. Um, you're going to probably see running back um, somewhere in there after losing some RJP Ryan, knowing where Joe Mixon's contract is. And it seems like everyone wants to pencil in offensive line, even though the Bengals have probably spent more money on the offensive line over the last two years, two or three years than any other team. Uh, as you take a look at it analytically, Kevin, where do you see the biggest needs um, in terms of what faces them in most immediately. Yeah, I mean, I think most immediately on the back end of the defense is probably the the place to go. Yeah. Um, how you approach that in the draft, I mean, this is a big part of what I do is trying to marry together great prospect evaluation work that people are doing out, out here, which is not really my specialty as much. And then also looking at trends, historical data, and, you know, the quote unquote analytics, what, what the analytics say about these things and as far as which positions are generally good values in which areas of the, of the draft. So I think if we're talking about the back end of the defense being a strong need and safety and corner, normally corner is if we're talking about the first round and the end of the first round, you can get a little bit more value in that sort of area. And yeah. it's supposed to be a pretty deep class at corner, yes. too. So I don't think you yes. can go wrong there because corner is kind of like wide receiver for a lot of teams where even if you think you have those boxes checked in the middle of the offseason, some guys aren't going to play well. Some guys are going to get injured and you need three quality guys now or else the defense will go ahead and hunt out whoever they think is the weakest link. Yeah, I think the Cincinnati Bengals on the secondary that we kind of got to our bare bones at the end of the year. We lost um, Chittabay Awuzier, um, and then we lost Trey Flowers for a period of time. It seemed like we were scraping the bottom of the barrel um, and there's no doubt um, Cam Taylor Britt came and saved our bacon uh, with the way that he pro- oh, a Nebraska guy, by the way, <laughs> you know, so Zach can find him. There's no doubt about it. But I thought Cam Taylor Britt, he was one of those value picks. Remember, he came in the in the second round last year, Dax Hill. They used their first two picks on the defensive backside um, last year in the draft. And listen, I wouldn't be surprised if they went 
maybe not first round, maybe not first and second, but one of the two, could you see them doing that potentially? Oh, yeah. No, I could definitely see that. And, and again, even if they were to double up, I don't think that would be a poor place to use um, right. yeah. to, to use the first couple of picks in those sorts of rounds. I mean, I guess the other areas, and we're stretching it a bit as far as where the sweet spot normally is for offensive tackle, Jonah Williams, whatever's going on there. I'm not, you know, I, I think they can ride it out probably and yeah. everything will be okay come the start of the season. But if they wanted to look there, that's another place they could potentially look. And then you mentioned tight end. Tight end is one where traditionally teams have not been good identifying the top tight ends in the first round. I mean, the best tight ends in the NFL, Kelsey was a third round pick. Kittle was a fifth round pick. I guess Dallas Goddard was a second round pick, but still in the first round, at least we've had some misses and even Kyle Pitts is not, you know, supposed to be the, the one of the greatest prospects ever. It hasn't really yeah. been so great so far. So we'll, yeah. we'll see about tight end. I think that is another place they could look though. OJ Howard was another guy. And remember started off in Tampa. He's kind of moved around now playing with his third team uh, upcoming in 2023. You're right. Those first round guys haven't necessarily panned out and you've got to be able to help guys develop within your system. Um, there's a number so like several tight ends on the board that people have close to first round grades on this year. Um, so Bengals could potentially take one at 28. They might wait till second round. But I guess according to your matrix, you're saying they're better off, better off waiting a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's what's ended up happening in the past. It's just been really tough to identify that one top guy. I mean, Michael Mayer of Notre Dame is probably the consensus number one tight end. But then after that, uh, whether it's Darnell Washington or Dalton Kincaid or, or the, those sorts of guys who one of them may be around, especially in at the back half of the second round, potentially to draft I mean, extremely athletic guys. And that's been something too. taking a shot on guys a little bit later. You don't get as good of a evaluation it seems like on on pass catching for tight ends so t t shooting on upside maybe that's something they could do rather than going in the first round kevin the football people and the data people seem to be worlds apart on how to really evaluate these running backs i do think the analytical world is kind of proven a point particularly when you see isaiah pacheco in the seventh round uh, by the kansas city chiefs last year just tearing it up against a great Eagles defense at the Super Bowl, helping to propel them to yet another Super Bowl champion. It's clear that you can find great value at the running back position on day two and, and day three. Let's start with B. John Robinson in this year's draft class. Many people still believe that he'll go in the first round. Your thoughts on that and where you see him landing and where is the right value for someone like B. John Robinson? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to go in the first round, although the difference that we're seeing and it's getting reflected more in even people's mock drafts, which are trying to predict what the NFL is going to do. Yeah. Even right now, I have a collection of uh, mock draft data and they, the, all these different drafts combined together, kind of figuring out some averages pegs Bijan to go somewhere in the 15 to 25 range where, mm -hmm. you know, looking back, I'd say he's, he's a prospect on the level of, or close to adjacent to someone like Saquon Barkley, who went number two, or Ezekiel yeah. Elliott, who went number four, or Leonard Fournette, who went number five or number four. He went oh, right, in the, yeah. Yeah. right in the top five, too. So the fact that he's being placed later on, and we'll see what ends up happening. I mean, he could go, I think, as early as maybe eight to the Falcons is a possibility, him going that early. But the fact that he's being seen as being a little bit later, I think teams 
have caught up even more. And, and as far as how much they pay running backs on their second contracts, I mean, teams have been caught up for a while there. So I think mid to late half of the first round, I think is where he's going to go. And as far as where I would value him, I mean, I've done some work trying to figure out value on there. I think, you know, if you if you if you draft him at the very end of the first round, I would not be totally against that. But I think he'd be more of a second round guy for me. But I think it's unlikely that he'll make it there. Bengals at 28. Bijan Robinson sitting there. They take him. Are you happy with that pick? Or what's your what's your 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 analytics there? How are you going to analyze that one? Yeah, I mean, I'm probably not particularly happy with with the pick just because I said I think it'd be more of a second round type of option there. I know there's a lot of stuff going on with Joe Mixon right now, so we don't know exactly what's going to happen there. I think the way the Bengals had played in the last couple of seasons is when they really turned the dial on passing. And if you think about how much they have invested in Burrow, Chase, and Higgins, I mean, just in how much they, they spent already on in the draft there, uh, going again with another first round pick on running back. I don't know. I, I would look to solidify the the back end because I think that's also an area how good they've been, how good, you know, Lou Amaruno and all those guys have been on the on the with the defense coordinator. That's a little bit of a differentiation they've had for people like the Chiefs and others who don't necessarily have that, that they can lean on that defense as well. So I would probably stack in that area. Uh, one last thing before we let you go. I, I want to get your your take on where you think the Bengals are headed as we get close to June 1 and a decision they're going to have to make uh, on Joe Mixon. They already lost to my J.P. Ryan. I do think it, it declared in that game against uh, Buffalo late in the year where the running backs really factored in uh, in that kind of environment and in that kind of game late in the season. But the numbers were way down um, for Mixon during the last 22 uh, season. So where, where do you think they go there? What does the numbers suggest? Um, if the Bengals are allocating resources, what do you think is happening there? Uh, I mean, I think they're going to make at least a third round pick probably on a running back if they want to address it via the draft. And I think you can find some really strong players in that sort of area. So I guess that would probably be the sign for me. Um, if it's not day three, if it's at the end of day two, they decide to to use a pick on a running back that could signal a willingness to move on from Mixon, who, you know, they, they resigned him to a to a bigger contract in the past. So there would be a little bit of a lot of savings involved in something like that also. Um, so I think that's what I would look for. I think that would be really the hint that they're that, that they're probably going to, to move on at that point rather than write it out with Mixon. And again, the first or second round would just be a little too early for me. Uh, maybe they could look for some sort of veteran presence, but even then, uh, there's probably not a lot out there at this point other than bringing in someone who's more of a veteran minimum and a presence in that locker room. Because the problem is with Travian Williams, Chris Evans is not a lot of proven yeah. talent uh, so, so far on the roster. Yeah, not a large sample size there. And, it, and with Joe Mixon, where uh, I think they like him, I think they uh, would like to see the production continue to spike upward over uh, the 2022 performance. Uh, more like what you saw in 2021, uh, $12 million cap relief if they make a move on June 1. Uh, you and I both know most teams want to take advantage of that, at least an opportunity to restructure the deal and to uh, try to bring that cap number down some. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see what they do, Kevin. Hey, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for enlightening us here on the Believe in Bingo podcast delivered by 828 Logistics. He is Kevin Cole, and I'm Solomon Wilcox. We'll be back with more right after this. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.